This is the Best Song Podcast, an oral history of the first 90 years of the Academy Award for Best Original Song. The Best Song Podcast was made possible by the generous support of the following. Paulus Edukas, Terry Freerks, Tina Fry, Jeff Glazer, Mark Hollingsworth, Douglas Meacham, Mark Smith, The Sokolov Family, Colin Stokes, Adrian Quinn Washington, and Ben Watson. Let's settle in now for this episode with the host of the Best Song Podcast, Jeff Cummings. We've reached the 40th year of the Academy Award for Best Original Song, and we have a whopper of a year's worth of songs to celebrate this milestone on the Best Song Podcast. We've come a long way from the early winners such as The Continental, White Christmas, and Buttons and Bows. But just as those songs really were the pinnacle of their respective years, the songs that were nominated in 1973 and onwards do not diminish in quality, even if the demand for movie songs continues to ebb and flow. This year was not only a milestone for movie songs to be recognized, but for major changes happening elsewhere in the world. The last American troops left Vietnam in March 1973. The U.S. Supreme Court made abortion legal in January 1973. The World Trade Center buildings opened in New York City in April, and Billie Jean King won the Battle of the Sexes in September. Times were changing in 1973, and that was true with the music branch of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. They wanted to make sure real composers were nominated for the score awards, so they made the criteria a lot more stringent for those rules in 1973. The music branch must have been okay with the way songwriters were submitting eligible songs, so there was only one addition to the original song rules. It read, quote, The duplication of the title of a previously nominated song will automatically render a song ineligible for Academy Awards consideration. End quote. That was an obvious callback to the 1972 song Strange Are the Ways of Love, which had the same title as a song nominated in 1959. Though both songs were different in tone and meaning, apparently the Academy wanted to keep voters from thinking about the previous song and making their selections. Marking a new generation of songwriters in 1973, only four of the 11 men and women nominated for Best Original Song had been previously nominated in this category. And of those four, one of them was looking for a history-making fifth Academy Award in the twilight of his career. That songwriter is Sammy Kahn, earning his 25th nomination for the song All That Love Went to Waste for the romantic comedy A Touch of Class. With his former writing partner Jimmy Van Heusen deciding that he had enough of Hollywood, Kahn found a new partner in George Barry and a rebirth in his songwriting career. After he and Van Heusen broke up following the poor reception for the Julie Andrews film Star, Kahn stopped writing songs almost certain that his career was at an end in 1968. But then, George Barry came calling. Of all the people who have been nominated for the Best Original Song Oscar, Barry's journey to the nomination has to be up there in the top five most interesting. Barry started out learning to play piano and saxophone while growing up in Brooklyn, but found after graduating college that the music industry was not generating the type of income he wanted. He began selling hair products in his late 20s and then started his own hair care product line in the 1940s. 
Barry turned the company into a big success in the 1950s, then made it a mega company after he merged with the luxury fragrance company Fabergé in 1964. Brut Cologne became one of Barry's most popular products, and he started the trend of using Hollywood celebrities to sell products with the likes of Roger Moore appearing in ads for Brut Cologne in the late 1960s. Mingling with celebrities gave Barry a taste of life in the movie business, and he decided to form a movie production company called Brut Productions in 1971. The first two movies under that banner, Cry For Me Billy and Book of Numbers, were big flops. The next one, though, would be a bigger success. That movie was a touch of class. Glenda Jackson, a recent Oscar winner for her performance in Women in Love, played a British divorcee who has an affair with a married American man played by George Siegel, after Brute Productions board member Cary Grant turned it down. Melvin Frank directed A Touch of Class and co-wrote it with Jack Rose. The movie's plot is very similar to a previous Melvin Frank movie called The Facts of Life from 1960, with Bob Hope and Lucille Ball as the people having the somewhat disastrous love affair. You might also remember the film's title song, written by Johnny Mercer and nominated for an Oscar. At the time, Mercer was busy with a stage musical with Andre Previn, so writing songs for a movie was out of the question for him. As the president of Brute Productions, George Barry was able to muscle his way into getting some songs inserted into a touch of class, and he had a mutual friend reach out to Sammy Kahn for some lyrical assistance. As Kahn describes it in his memoir, I Should Care, Barry sent Kahn cassette tapes of melodies that would be suitable for songs, but not really saying they would be used in a movie. Kahn wrote some lyrics, sent them to Barry, and Kahn found himself back in the business. The nominated song comes at the end of the film, when the affair reaches its end. Appropriately, the song is called All That Love Went to Waste, and it mourns the end of a relationship that has captured rainbows, but probably lasted longer than it should have. The song is heard as we see Glenda Jackson's character after she has packed her clothes from the apartment she and Siegel rented for their trysts and walks down the street back to her normal home and normal life. If we only could have 
This is probably the saddest song among the 25 Oscar-nominated tunes that Sammy Kahn had written up to that point, but it encapsulated the film's ending perfectly. Both characters are looking back on their affair, wondering where it went wrong and what could have been better, and singer Madeline Bell is giving us both characters' emotions in two and a half minutes. Barry and Kahn wrote two other songs from the movie, including the title song that has a catchy melody and sets up the charming personalities of the two lead characters as the movie begins. The song, A Touch of Class, feels like it came from Sammy Kahn's heyday in the 1950s, full of jazzy, swingy chords that might get you tapping your feet while we learn about the debonair and charming qualities of these two people. According to Kahn, Barry sent the melody to him with the working title, The Happy Hooker, before Kahn gave it a more upscale title. It's all there, that savoir faire Plus a touch of class He walks in and grins that grin And they all fall on mass Got to be the total heat Plus a touch of class Adore her cool, plus that touch of class. Want to toast the maximums? Simply raise your glass. Uninvolved, this means resolve to hit and run the pass. So he fought till he got caught by a touch of class. So he That song almost gave Sammy Kahn nomination 26. It made it onto the list of 10 after preliminary voting, and I'll remind you again that there was no explicit rule that only one song could be nominated from one film. But voters who loved All That Love Went to Waste enough to put it high on their final nomination ballot didn't feel the same way about the title song. Either way, Sammy Kahn was so enamored with working with Barry that he became a special consultant for future films made by Brute Productions. After 10 years of trying to find favor with the Academy, 
a song from a James Bond movie finally found a place on the list of the five nominees. It took one of history's best songwriters to do it, though he had also found himself on the outside looking in as an Oscar hopeful for almost a decade as well with other high-profile projects. That man was Paul McCartney, who was spreading his wings after the breakup of the Beatles. Literally. In 1971, he formed the band Wings with his wife, Linda. But despite McCartney's name, Wings wasn't very popular in its first two years. The four-person group was lucky that Bond movie producers Albert Broccoli and Harry Saltman didn't care about the success of Wings, only that Paul McCartney was free from the Beatles and free to write the title song for the eighth Bond movie called Live and Let Die. Paul enlisted his wife Linda as his writing partner, and they felt restricted by the demands of using the film's title as the song's title, but went about the assignment with gusto, knowing that pretty much all the Bond songs that came before were massively popular. And they were excited that Roger Moore was taking over the James Bond role, something the McCartneys felt was the impetus to write a song that was going to shake up the Bond movie, just as McCartney felt Moore would show a different side of 007. The resulting song is the first true rock song for a Bond film, though we're lulled into a false sense of security at the beginning with the innocent piano, plus the sweet lyrics, when you were young and your heart was an open book, you used to say live and let live, before the electric guitars come in with the very unchildlike response, live and let die. When you were young and your heart was an open book, Used to say, live and let live. You know you did, you know you did, you know you did. But if this ever-changing world in which we live in makes you give in and cry, say, live and let die. Ever-changing world in which we live in 
The producers initially didn't plan for McCartney to sing the song. It was going to be performed by Shirley Bassey, who had made Goldfinger and Thunderball two big hits and was becoming the go-to Bond singer. But George Martin, who had been the Beatles' producer and was reuniting with Paul for Live and Let Die, said the song would only be part of the movie if Wings got to perform it in the opening titles. So, Shirley Bassey was out, another way that this entry into the Bond series was letting go of the past. The plan was to have the Bond title song appear in the body of the film, in addition to the opening credits. And in the film, it would be sung by a singer at a club where one of the villains does business. The song is performed directly to James Bond as a forewarning that things will not work out well for him. He's lowered into the den where the main villain is waiting for him as the singer continues to sing, Live and Let Die. You were young and your heart was an open book. Oh, you used to say, Live and let But if this ever changing world in which we live in makes you give it a cry, say, Live and let die.
Producers didn't think audiences would buy Paul McCartney as a lounge singer in a predominantly black club in New Orleans, so the producers hired B.J. Arnow to perform Live and Let Die. Presenting the song Live and Let Die was just one way the Bond films were making a radical shift. Instead of featuring a villain with maniacal plans to rule the world, this one focused on a Harlem drug dealer with plans to distribute heroin for free. It feels like the filmmakers wanted to ride the coattails of the exploitation films and make James Bond into John Shaft, with his theme song written and sung by a white man from Liverpool and not Isaac Hayes. Another way the film bucked tradition was not having John Barry write the score. Barry was busy writing two musicals and couldn't take the time to do the movie at the time. So George Martin stepped in to write a very different score from what Barry had been doing full of synthesizers and unorchestral flourishes. The movie Live and Let Die was another worldwide success, and critics were pleased with Roger Moore's first entry as James Bond. There was also a lot of praise for the title song, which many said added a lot to the opening credits. Live and Let Die sold more than a million records in the United States, and just as many in the United Kingdom with the band Wings finally getting the big successful record they wanted for the past two years. It only got as high as number two on the Billboard Hot 100 in the fall of 1973. One of the songs that kept it from being a number one song was Maureen McGovern's recording of The Morning After, which had won the Oscar for original song six months earlier. Live and Let Die wasn't the only nominated song from 1973 that was a big hit on the Billboard charts. The title song from the romantic drama The Way We Were was an instant success once it was released in November 1973, one month after the film's release. It took its own sweet time working its way up the Billboard charts as the film gained popularity with moviegoers, and on February 2, 1974, just one week before the votes by the music branch members were due for final nomination tabulation, The Way We Were hit number one in the United States and stayed there for a total of three weeks. After years of releasing popular songs, The Way We Were was Barbara Streisand's first number one song. Streisand was losing her grip with audiences by 1973. Five years after winning the Oscar for Funny Girl, her films were no longer successes. After 1969's Hello, Dolly, the four films she did were non-singing roles, and the public didn't seem to like Barbara when she wasn't belting out a song. But she continued to work at proving herself as a dramatic actress, and the role of Katie Morofsky was hers for the taking. Streisand was involved very early in the process of making The Way We Were and was instrumental in getting Sidney Pollack to direct the movie. Marvin Hamlish had dreamed of writing a song for Barbara Streisand, as far back as when he was working as a rehearsal pianist for Streisand's run in Funny Girl on Broadway. That was 1964. 
Nine years later, his dream came true. Ray Stark, the producer of The Way We Were, and essentially Barbara's right-hand man for her career at the time, was a friend of Hamlish as well and asked Hamlish to write the score for The Way We Were. And though Barbara was working on venturing away from being tabbed as a musical actress, she was excited about the possible song that Hamlish would write for her. I wanted to reflect all of the sorrow and despondency and pain of the relationship, Hamlish said in a 1996 interview. The tendency would be to write such a sad song in a minor key, but Hamlish had other ideas. I had been trying minor key melodies, but thought they might have told you too much in advance that Streisand and Redford were never going to be together, Hamlish said. So I wrote a major key melody that was sad, but also had a great deal of hope in it. As we have learned about many film songs, The Way We Were was not immediately liked by the filmmakers and studio heads. Barbara Streisand liked it, but thought it was too sentimental. The vote was to cut it from the movie. But after a test screening, Hamlish felt the final scene needed the song and begged for it to go there and see how the audience liked it. Within minutes, there wasn't a dry eye left, Hamlish said of the audience's reaction to the revised ending with a shortened version of the full song. The full version of The Way We Were plays in the opening credits, but it's not just a song that plays over the opening credits. It helps propel us into the flashback that makes up a very large portion of the movie. After Streisand's Katie sees Redford's Hubble at a bar in New York in 1944, she starts to think about their first meeting many years ago while they were in college. The piano tinkles and Streisand's humming of the lyric melody moves us into the song, which fits the flashback perfectly. The lyrics by Alan and Marilyn Bergman ponder the memories that sit in our minds and whether things would be different if different choices were made. Thank you. 
of the smiles we left behind Smiles we gave to one another For the way we were Can it be The song The Way We Were and the film itself did a lot for Streisand's career. It helped bring her back into the top echelon as a singer and gave her an Oscar nomination for Best Actress, her first since winning for Funny Girl. Redford went on a hot streak as well, getting an Oscar nomination that year, but not for The Way We Were. He was also the star of the comedy The Sting, teaming up with his pal Paul Newman again. The music of that film famously featured works from ragtime composer Scott Joplin, and his music was adapted for the movie by Marvin Hamlish. Both The Way We Were and The Sting made a lot of money in their initial theatrical runs, with The Way We Were the best of the two at $22 million. Columbia Pictures made a lot of money from the film The Way We Were, and the songwriters made a lot of money off its song. If you've heard The Way We Were, sung by Barbara Streisand, but have never seen the movie, it's the commercial release on her 1973 album, The Way We Were, that you likely have heard. Marvin Hamlish's music gets a more 70s spin on it, which wouldn't be appropriate for the film version since it was set long before the 1970s. And Barbara isn't so restrained in this recording, letting loose on a few of the big lines. What's too painful to remember? We simply choose to
Also nominated for the Best Actress Oscar with Streisand was Marsha Mason, playing a prostitute in the movie Cinderella Liberty with James Caan. The year 1973 was Mason's first year in movies, and she knocked this one out of the park. The movie featured a score by John Williams, who would get an Oscar nomination for writing the score, as well as for writing the love song from the film called Nice to Be Around. When director Mark Rydell felt that a couple of songs would help the narrative, he asked John Williams for a recommendation. John Williams found a 32-year-old singer-songwriter with the same last name to help him with songwriting duties. Paul Williams had released four albums that weren't successful, but John Williams said he was taken with Paul Williams' unconventional lyrics, which were needed for this unconventional film. Two original songs appear in the film, and Paul Williams sings them both. The first is called Wednesday Night Special, a comedic song that plays as James Kahn's sailor leaves the naval yard to wander the streets of Seattle for a day. The song is doing the opposite of what we see on screen, talking about being the party king, when the only exciting thing James Kahn is doing is having a meal in a diner. Paul Williams' honky-tonk delivery adds to the comedy of the song. me feel all fresh inside A good woman's like a friendly bar Like a Wednesday special or a good cigar The leaves are falling, the South Sea is calling I've got no time to stall My nerves are steady, I'm always ready to hold Knows I'm having a ball You know, baby, I'm a laugh-a-minute man You know, baby, I was built to swing Let my friends all tell me I'm the party king And once I know you the things I'll show you But instead of the fun and upbeat Wednesday night special, 
It's the conventional romantic ballad, Nice to Be Around, that got the Oscar nomination. John Williams based part of the song's melody on the love theme he had composed for Kahn's and Mason's characters, and it provides the opportunity for famed harmonica player Toots Thielmans to showcase his skills as well. The song comes near the end of the film, after the tragic death of Mason's newborn baby, and after she decides to go back to her pool-hustling ways. Only 90 seconds of the song appears in the film, so here's the full version that Williams recorded. You'll hear a harmonica playing throughout, thanks to that legendary Toots Thielmans, a Belgian-born musician whose harmonica had been heard in the film scores for Midnight Cowboy and The Getaway, and will come up in another John Williams score the following year called The Sugarland Express. Hello, such a simple way to start a love affair. Should I jump right in and say how much I care? Would you take me for a madman or a simple-hearted clown? Hello, with affection from a sentimental fool To a little girl who's broken every rule One who brings me up when all the others seem to let me down One who's nice to be around Should I say that it's a blue without you? Nice words I remember from an old love song, but all wrong, cause I never called it love before. This feeling's new. The nicest things have never seemed to last That we're both a bit embarrassed by our past But I think there's something special In the feelings we found And you're nice to be around Nice to be around wasn't a big hit commercially, but Paul Williams did record another version with a new arrangement for his 1974 album, A Little Bit of Love. Maureen McGovern also sang a cover version of the song in 1974, but wasn't able to get much attention from it. Possibly the least commercially and critically successful nominated song from 1973 came from the Disney animated film Robin Hood. 
Walt Disney had wanted to do a movie about Robin Hood since the 1930s, but using humans instead of the anthropomorphic animals that were ultimately used. The resulting movie was pretty well received, but as was the case with many of the nominated songs from the Disney animated movies, the songs were not easy to market commercially. That was definitely the case with the nominated song Love, written by composer George Bruns and lyricist Floyd Huddleston. Bruns had been a composer for Disney films since the 1950s, writing only a handful of songs in the two decades with the studio. Huddleston was also on the payroll at Disney, writing the lyrics to the song Everybody Wants to Be a Cat for the 1970 film The Aristocats, directed by Wolfgang Reithman. When Reithman was working on Robin Hood, he got Bruns and Huddleston together to write a love song for Robin Hood and Maid Marian. I'm really surprised no one decided to call a love song love until Bruns and Huddleston did just that. The song is performed after a mad chase during an archery contest when Robin and Marion escape into Sherwood Forest and get married the same night. It speaks of the love they once had when they were young and now are starting to really understand what they had felt back then. It seems like only yesterday You were just a child at play Now you're all grown up inside of me Oh, how fast those moments flee Once we watched a lazy world go by the days seem to fly Life is brief But when it's gone Love goes on and on song was performed by Nancy Adams, who got the job because she is Floyd Huddleston's wife. Adams had been a backup singer on the TV variety show Music Scene for the past few years, and this was her first individual song, and first song performed in a movie. Another musical for kids had some genuinely good songs that were likely considered for the final five nominees, but none of them made it. Like the Robin Hood story, the Mark Twain story of Tom Sawyer was ripe for a musical adaptation, and it was the former Disney songwriters Richard and Robert Sherman who were responsible for bringing this live-action musical to the screen. The top song from the movie, at least by Oscar voter standards, 
was the opening song called River Song. If you know the movie or the Broadway musical Showboat, you will hear how the Shermans got as close as they can to replicating the big song from Showboat, Old Man River, without it sounding like a carbon copy. River runs warm in the summer sun River runs cold when the summer's done But a boy's just a dreamer by the riverside Cause the water's too fast and the water's too wide And the world turns around and the boy grows tall He hears the song of the river called The river song sings travel on, travel on You blink away a tear And the boy is gone Oh, river's gonna flow Across the land, across the land Oh, a river's gonna flow To the sea In his life is he free Only one golden time in his life is he River Song is performed by country music star Charlie Pride, and it made it onto the list of the top ten songs after the preliminary vote. It's the only one of the nine songs from Tom Sawyer that got that far in voting, a surprise given that two other songs are just as good. One of them might have been the title song, sung by Oscar winner Celeste Holm about the unruly Tom. Uncouth, irreverent, wild, that irresponsible child. I tried to teach him, but who can reach him? He never can be found. Leaves his trash around, just won't learn, and he just keeps turning away. Tom Sawyer, the devil's got him in tow. Tom Sawyer, he's grief and worry and woe. He's late for supper and late for school, and he's taking me for a fool. I'll bet Tom Sawyer will be the death of me, yes. Tom goes up with hooks, swimming in the nude. Tom tears all his clothes and he cooks so crude. Hides dead snakes and things underneath the stairs. And in Sunday school never knows his prayers. Tom's a good boy, Tom is kind. Tom holds wonders in his mind. Tom's an orphan, can't you see? He needs our love and sympathy. Tom is strong. Have fun. Won't be no surprise. He loves to play and fish other day. And you just wish you were like him. Tom Sawyer. That Tom is 
turning me crazy. Tarnation, he'll never learn to obey. I know that boy could be such a joy to me if he'd only be good. But he's always wasting his time away, exasperating me every day. No ambition and no respect. He'll be the death of me, yes. For my money, the song Gratifaction is the best song from the Tom Sawyer movie, sung by a bunch of kids as they paint the famous fence. Call this work? Well, ain't that funny. We ain't doing this for money. Heck, it's a regular privilege to be occupied. It's a source of pride. Anyone could swim and fish on a Saturday. Anyone could just lay down. Laying in a hammock, laying in the grass like a lazy, no good hound. Just know that I'm soft-hearted I was barely getting started Now I'm giving all of my fun away They keep begging me And I'm generous I mean, when's the last time you could slosh a block to full of wash on a mile of fence? Look at him smiling and having a time And all at my expense And you get that deep down In 1973, the black private dick named Shaft was shuttled off to Africa for the third movie in the Shaft series called Shaft in Africa. Producer Roger Lewis said moving Shaft out of New York City was a gamble, but was willing to take the risk that it would pay off big time. It didn't. One thing that was sorely missing was the music of Isaac Hayes, the writer of the Oscar-winning theme song from the original film. Hayes was asked to work on the film, but after winning an Oscar, his price was too high. Johnny Pate, an arranger for acts like Curtis Mayfield and B.B. King, wrote the score for Shaft in Africa, but he wasn't asked to write the main song. That assignment went to Dennis Lambert and Brian Potter, who had written the hit song Keeper of the Castle for the Four Tops in 1972. That song was a top ten hit for the group, their first after leaving Motown. So, Lambert and Potter, both white men, were the hot R&B songwriters at the time, and they set out to write the song, Are You Man Enough, for Shaft in Africa, giving it to the four tops to sing. The song plays over the opening credits, 
as a car drives a knocked-out shaft to an undisclosed location. funky as theme from Shaft, but it was a big hit in the summer of 1973. The song went all the way to number two on the Billboard R&B chart, which would be the second top ten hit for the Four Tops and their songwriters that year. The song that would become one of the signature songs for the Four Tops, Ain't No Woman Like the One I Got, was number ten on the Billboard Hot 100 earlier in 1973. Shaft in Africa made just $1 million, just shy of the $2 million budget, and essentially signaling the end of the Shaft series, though it would putter on for another year on television until fading away. Samuel L. Jackson brought Shaft back in 2000 for a remake-slash-sequel, which featured Isaac Hayes' popular song in a new arrangement. But no original song was written for that movie. Shaft in Africa was considered a box office dud, but not as much of a flop as the live-action musical Lost Horizon with songs by the Oscar-winning duo of Burt Bacharach and Hal David. The process of writing the song score essentially ended the partnership between Bacharach and David. Bacharach fought for the songs to have a bigger presence in the film, while David seemed to stand back and let Bacharach fight the battle alone. Bacharach sued Hal David, Hal David sued Burt Bacharach, and on and on it went for six years until they settled out of court in 1979. The lawsuits officially ended a very lucrative 15-year partnership. Hal David teamed up with British composer Albert Hammond in the late 1970s and would bring Willie Nelson and Julio Iglesias together for the song 
to all the girls I've loved before in 1984. And to make matters worse, Dionne Warwick sued both songwriters in the 1970s, claiming her career was in jeopardy because the men who were responsible for her success were no longer working together. Again, it all got settled out of court. And there is a happy ending, though, I think. All three reunited in 1992 for the song Sunny Weather Lover. But back to Lost Horizon. It's a rather silly premise about a group of people who find the mythical paradise called Shangri-La and decide to live there. Plus, many of the actors aren't trained singers, and their singing doubles don't match the actors' voices. The song Living Together, Growing Together found some success away from the movie and might have been considered a best song nominee based solely on the names of the songwriters. The song is performed in the film by the leader of Shangri-La, Tu Lin, played by the actor James Shigeta. It's about the blessings that creating a family can bring, even though there's no talk about any of the characters getting married and having children before or after the song is performed. Stuck with a man And you have one hand on a woman And then you have two Add on a child And what have you got? You've got more than three You have what they call a problem with the song is that it has too much of a pop music sensibility to work in a scene set in Shangri-La, far from the western world of pop music. Watching a monk sing this song with a chorus of other monks is more than unsettling, and I could see why the filmmakers were having trouble selling this movie. It's sad that such a project ended the partnership between Bacharach and David, but it's not the only pair of songwriters who have parted ways over a bad project. Hal David didn't lose much sleep over Lost Horizon. He worked on another film song, this time with Henry Mancini for the movie Oklahoma Crude. Directed by Stanley Kramer and starring George C. Scott, it made less than Lost Horizon, $2.5 million to be exact. 
The song that Mancini and David wrote was called Send a Little Love My Way, which mixes in some country twang with a little nod to raindrops keep falling on my head. That song was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Song of 1973, believe it or not. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association went with three other little scene movies for its roster of six nominees for Best Song of 1973. In addition to All That Love Went to Waste and The Way We Were, as well as Sending a Little Love My Way, the Golden Globe nominees contained a song from an Israeli film called Casablan, and it was described as an Israeli version of West Side Story. The Golden Globe-nominated song, Rosa, is not the film's version of Maria, but rather a somewhat distasteful song about one of the characters in the movie. Rosa, Rosa, be my girl, let me swim into those eyes. They make me spin and twist and twirl, they sing me gentle lullabies. Since that day I saw you first, when you had more mustache than I. The day I saw you laughing till you burst, my laughing Rosa, you were mine. It's no surprise that The Way We Were won the Golden Globe. Its only competition might have been Live and Let Die, which was not nominated. 
James Bond had never been popular among the Foreign Press Association, just as it had never been popular with the Academy before this. So perhaps it should not have been a surprise. But when it came time for the Oscars, the big question wasn't who would win the Oscar for Best Song, but rather who would sing the songs at the ceremony. Obviously, everyone wanted Streisand to sing The Way We Were. And to have a Beatle at the Oscars after none of them showed up to accept their song score Oscar two years earlier would be a big coup for the producers. Another nominated songwriter who performed his song in the movie, Paul Williams, could have used the Oscar telecast as a way to promote his singing as well as his ability to write songs. But neither of these three sang on Oscar night on April 2, 1974. Peggy Lee sang The Way We Were, Connie Stevens, yeah, Connie Stevens, sang Live and Let Die. And Telly Savalas, who was just starting his run as the Detective Kojak on television, sang Nice to Be Around. The song Love was performed by two children who had made a case to be the next Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. Jodie Foster and Johnny Whitaker, who were also the stars of the Tom Sawyer musical, sang about the young love blossoming into grown-up love. And rounding out the list of performers was Diane Cannon to sing All That Love Went to Waste. Marvin Hamlish and John Williams were both triple nominated that night, looking for the chance to be the first composers to win three Oscars in one night. Seven men had won two in one night, and perhaps one of them would join that group. The Adaptation Score Award was first. Hamlish was nominated for adapting Scott Joplin's music for The Sting, while Williams had a nomination for working with the Sherman Brothers on Tom Sawyer. Donald O'Connor and Debbie Reynolds, both of Singing in the Rain fame, came out to present this first music award. The nominations are yes. for original song score, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ Superstar, adapted by Andre Previn, Herbert Spencer, Andrew Lloyd Webber, The Sting, adapted by Marvin Hamlish. Tom Sawyer, song score by Richard M. Sherman and Robert B. Sherman, adapted by John Williams. May I have the envelope, please? Thank you. There you are, Debbie. I like the envelope. The winner is Marvin Hamlish for The Sting. I'm very happy, <laughs> and I really wanted this. <laughs> uh, first of all, I am really thrilled that my parents could be here to see this, and I'm happy that I'm still alive because I've been sitting there a long time. Right after that, Cher came out with the night's musical director, Henry Mancini, to give out the original dramatic score Oscar. Hamlish was nominated for his score to The Way We Were, and Williams earned his nomination for Cinderella Liberty. The reading of the nominations was going well until the last name. The nominations for Best Original Dramatic Score are John Williams for Cinderella Liberty, George Delarue for The Day of the Dolphin, Jerry Goldsmith for Papillon, John Cameron for A Touch of Class, and Marvin Hamschmish for Who? The Way We Were. Who? Hamschmish. Hamlish. Hamlish. Sorry about that, Marvin. 
The envelope, please. What do you think? Marvin, come back. <laughs> Thank you, Sierra. <laughs> Cheer up. Cheer up, right. Uh, what can I tell you? My piano teacher is thrilled about this, I know. <laughs> she kept saying, practice, practice. Uh, Hamlish got a few minutes to catch his breath and soak it all in before getting back to his seat for the announcement of the Best Song Award. At this point, Hamlish had made history by winning both score categories in the same year, something no one else had done. Another mark in the history books was on the line, and with the way we were winning the Golden Globe and having all the love, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. I'm not sure if Burt Bacharach was thrilled with being selected as the presenter of the Best Song Award, given that he didn't get nominated, and his chances of ever getting nominated again were slipping away with each passing day of his lawsuit with Hal David. But there he was on the stage with Anne Margaret reading out the nominees. And now, for the five best songs nominated this year, All That Love Went to Waste, music by George Berry, lyrics by Sammy Kahn. Live and Let Die, Music and Lyrics by Paul and Linda McCartney. Love, Music by George Bruns, Lyrics by Floyd Huddleston. The Way We Were, Music by Marvin Hamlish, Lyrics by Alan and Marilyn Bergman. Nice to Be Around, Music by John Williams, Lyrics by Paul Williams. May I have the envelope, please? The winners are... Positively obscene how many of these you have. It's very lovely. I'd like to thank all of you. I'd like to thank Ray Stark for a beautiful picture, and Sidney Pollock, and Barbara Streisand, the best singer that any lyric writer could ever have singing their song. I can only add my thanks to all of you, and again to Barbara. It's just wonderful. Thank you very much. I feel we can talk as friends because I think I know you. <laughs> so, gang, listen to me. And history was made as Hamlish became the third person to win more than two Oscars in one night and the first composer to do so. He joined Walt Disney and Billy Wilder in this exclusive club, which will gain more members through the years. Hamlish fell short of becoming the youngest winner of the Best Original Song Award by nine months. 
Herb Magidson was 29 years, one month, and 10 days old when he won the first Academy Award for Best Song in 1935. Hamlish was 29 years and 10 months old when he won his three Oscars to make him third youngest behind Magidson and Isaac Hayes, who was 29 years and 7 months old when he won in 1972 for Theme from Shaft. Marvin Hamlish's hot streak continued on Broadway one year later when a chorus line opened on July 25, 1975. It won the Pulitzer Prize and the Tony, and for a while was the longest-running Broadway musical in history. There are so many songs that Hamlish wrote with Edward Kleban that have become standards that you probably know them already. Just before that big Broadway opening, The Way We Were was nominated for the prestigious Song of the Year Grammy Award to be presented on March 1, 1975. Feel Like Making Love and Paul Williams's You and Me Against the World were two of the nominees. And for the first time in nine years, a movie song took the award. It was the first Grammy win for Hamlish and the Bergmans, and the first nominations for all three of them. Surprisingly, the song was not nominated for Record of the Year, but the three took a second Grammy for the soundtrack album. George Bruns and Floyd Huddleston earned their first and only trip to the Oscars after years of toiling away at Disney. Both would close out their careers at Disney shortly after that. Linda McCartney earned her spot as one of a handful of women nominated for the Song Award, and her sole nomination keeps her on that list. While working as a consultant with Brute Productions, Sammy Kahn found himself returning to the Broadway stage as a lyricist and as a performer in his autobiographical show, Words and Music. The New York Times said Kahn was a great humorist and the best bad singer in the world. Not sure if that's a backhanded compliment, but Kahn said in his memoirs that he cried happy tears over that review. Sammy Kahn is coming back to Hollywood later in the 1970s, but until then, we'll have some exciting songs to keep this show flying high. Someone who said they would never write another song finds himself as an Oscar nominee again, while another married couple makes the play for the Oscar. I'm excited to share their stories with you on the next episode. Thanks so much for singing along with me on this episode, and we'll do it again next time. The Best Song Podcast is not authorized or endorsed by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The show's creator, writer, producer, and editor is Jeff Cummings. All music clips are permitted for use under the Education Clause of the Fair Use Doctrine in United States law.